Thank you so much, Johan. Well, my, uh, my hope today is to be an encouragement to you, and, but what I'm about to say may not sound encouraging. Uh, my desire for us today would be that this would be a moment of life-giving, not life-taking, although what I'm about to say in a moment to introduce our topic may not seem to fit that objective. My hope for today is that you would feel the peace of the Lord in a very deep and profound way, and yet when I mention the topic of conversation, uh, I wonder if you'll believe me. Today, as we continue on in our study called Disciple, looking at what it means to follow Jesus, we're in the Gospel of Mark chapter 12, and we are going to talk about taxes. Now, in fact, actually, that's, that's a little bit, that's a little bit not true. I mean, it's true. We are going to talk about taxes. We're in a text where Jesus explicitly talks about taxes, but the, the text itself is not actually about taxes. Are you relieved? So when we're thinking about this peace, this, this loving, this, this, this nourishment that's going to come across our soul, we're, we're glad to note that it's not actually about taxes, but it's about politics. So much better. And really, actually, though, it's not really ultimately about politics. It's really about power and the power dynamic of the kingdom of God. And it really is about our allegiances. It's about where we give our heart and where we give our lives. And I'd like to show you in this text that there really is life here. Uh, and, and just as we think about money, taxes, power, politics, government, uh, we're in a season, are we not, where we need life-giving, not life-taking. Uh, we need a Jesus way to think about politics and power. And so my hope today is that we would see, uh, for those of us that are exploring what it means to follow Jesus, for those of us that are still learning what it means to, to follow the Jesus way, uh, my hope is that it would truly be life-giving in the context of a conversation that, that really in our community right now uh, seems to be anything but life-giving, namely around money, power, and politics. Uh, so I'm going to read the text, and then uh, this is Mark chapter 12, verses 13 through 17. If you're joining us in person, I believe you guys got a handout with the text. And I, I made a mistake this week. Um, I, I think you've got actually verses 1 through 17 printed in there. We're only going to be focused on 13 and on. Um, not that the previous part on the parable of the vineyard is bad. I love that one, but we just need to spend a little time in this text today. Um, and then for those of y'all joining us online, uh, if you have a Bible available, grab that. If not, uh, just go to Bible.com, and we're using the Christian Standard Version of the Bible today. And I encourage you to uh, hear these words, and then we'll actually look at the text. And I'll have it up here on the screen here in just a minute when we look together. But I want to encourage you to hear the word, uh, allow your imagination to work, allow the Spirit of God to speak to you, even as you hear the word of God spoken. Uh, this is the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, verses 13 and on. Uh, then they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to trap him in his words. When they came, they said to him, Teacher, we know you are truthful and do not care what anyone thinks, nor do you show partiality. But you teach the way of God truthfully. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why are you testing me? Bring me a denarius, and I want to look at it. And so they bring him a coin. Jesus says, whose image and inscription is this? 
he asked them. Caesar's, they replied. Jesus told them, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they were utterly amazed at him. This is the word of the Lord. So in this text, you have uh, three pieces that I want us to zoom in on. Again, as we're thinking about money, politics, power, and government, and, and first there's a trap. Uh, second, there's an image that we need to pay attention to, or a likeness, or inscription. And then finally, there's a call to allegiance. So take, take a look at this. Okay, so let's, um, are you guys thrilled about the topic today? I, I'm very excited about today. Okay, so here we go. Uh, so this is restitution. So just lean in and notice this. Then they, uh, if you go to the previous uh, text, the they, I think it's the Sanhedrin, so relig- the religious power brokers, they uh, sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to do what? Trap him, right? So they're going, they're going to try to trap Jesus specifically in his words. So Jesus is a threat. So Pharisees and Herodians are a couple of groups of power brokers in the, in the religious political sphere there in Jerusalem. And they both, they're, they're kind of on, they're not, they're not like how we have Democrat and Republican. It's not like that, but they are definitely not on the same side of the aisle. You guys with me so far? Okay, so the, the Herodians and Pharisees, you, you don't have to know much about them right now for the context of this text, although I would strongly encourage you to read through your Bible, read through the Gospel of Mark and discover uh, some of the nuances the difference between them, but between these two groups, Pharisees and Herodians, these are kind of religious political uh, groups that think about the Roman Empire and how to engage with the Roman Empire differently. So they're on two different sides of the aisle. But notice that they've become unified now. Why? Because they're trying to do what? Okay, so I I just want you to notice, especially if you read through the Gospel of Mark, you read through all the Gospels. In fact, when you go home later today and read through your whole New Testament, you'll notice that when you read through the Gospels, you'll notice that Jesus is constantly unifying people. He's constantly bringing together people who don't generally belong together. He's constantly binding together misfits who don't generally fit together, but, it, but it's in two ways, actually. Uh, like here at Desert Springs, I, I love uh, this imagery that we're a bunch of misfits. We don't naturally fit together. And yet, because of Jesus, he's bound us together. He's reshaping us so that we do actually become one, and unified in one. We actually fit together. But to start with, we're, we're misfits, and Jesus binds us together in love and grace and mercy and compassion, etc. But Jesus is also binding together misfits who hate his guts. Jesus is also frequently getting people so stirred up and feeling so threatened by his power, by his teaching, by who he is, that they actually create very strange alliances. People who don't naturally work together are working together. And in this case, the Pharisees and the Herodians who do not generally want to work together, they're working together. Why? Because Jesus is a direct assault or threat to their power. Keep going. They try to trap him in his words. That's what they want to do. There's a trap set. When they came, they said to him, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and you do not care what anyone thinks, nor do you show partiality, but you teach the way of God truthfully. What do we call this? Brown nosing. That's right. But it's not just brown nosing. They're trying to butter him up because they're trying to trap him. Are these people being authentic? No, they're just trying to say nice things to Jesus in order, again, try to endear him into them and try to trap him. Okay, so they, here's another thing, too. This is so fascinating. In the Gospel of Mark especially, but I think in, throughout Scripture, this, this little literary device will happen. But in Mark, you see it really pronounced. 
where Mark, the author, will put into the mouths of people who are antagonistic against Jesus truths about Jesus, right? So while these homies do not believe what they're saying it, as the reader, we're like, these things are actually true. Notice, is Jesus a teacher? Uh, Is he truthful? Does he care what anyone thinks in the sense of um, uh, showing partiality? No. Uh, Does he show partiality? No. Does he teach the way of God truthfully? Yeah. Do you see the irony here? Like they're meaning it to kind of like butter him up. And as the reader, you're just like, these guys are spot on. And this is actually really important for us to note that a person can say all the right things about Jesus, but not ever behave like Jesus. And the content of their words, if it's not backed by the content of their character, hello, should at least cause us to wonder, is this person actually representing Jesus? Keep going. Is it lawful? Okay, so watch this. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Okay, according to Roman law, do you think it's lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? Yeah, okay, so for those of us that are, like, here in America, um, like, is it lawful to pay our taxes? Hello? Yeah, okay, I hope you guys, like, April, 4th, April 15th, is that when the thing is, right? Like, an important day? Um, yeah, does our government really like it when we pay taxes? Yeah, loves it, right? Like, any government is like, we, we would not ever make it illegal to give us money, right? Like, that's every government ever, ever saying, right? Like, so, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Isn't about necessarily Roman law, but it's about these Jewish people who are, note this, They are subjects of the Roman Empire. So they're in uh, Judea, which has now been taken over and conquered by the Romans. So that Jesus was Jewish. The Jewish people are, they have overlords occupying their territory. And so they're asking this question, Jesus, you as a Jewish rabbi, you as a Jewish teacher, is it right for us or lawful to us, maybe even in the law of Moses, is it right for us to pay taxes uh, to Caesar or not? And then there's the next question. It's not about the letter of the law. What is it? Jesus, should we pay taxes or not? And here's why they're asking that question. If you were a, a, a citizen, so I just want you to imagine something, okay? I want you to imagine that Canada invades America and is our overlords, okay? And there's maple leaves everywhere. If, if anyone here is Canadian, I'm not trying to pick on you. I'm just, I just, I just it, you know, I just like the maple leaf. Okay, so, and, and for, for hundreds of years, the Canadians are our overlords. But, but secretly, when they're not looking, we kind of gather up at, like in a little American cohorts and we, we, we come together and you know what we do is we, we sing like American songs and we do like American stuff and we tell stories about America and American history. And then, and then somewhere along the way, someone's going to be like, it'll, it'll be great when we can get America back. Wouldn't that be normal? This is how it works in almost every uh, uh, situation where there's a dominant empire that comes in and takes over. There's always this remnant hope. And so let's imagine, again, the, the Canadian overlords, right? And, and they're taxing us. How do we feel about the taxes? Happy, not happy. And here's why, especially, so let's zoom back into Jesus' day. Especially for Caesar, because my, if, if, if the, they're talking about the imperial tax where the, where the coin right? The money goes to buy the spear that the Romans are pointing at us. Hello. Am I happy about this? 
I'm back in Jesus' name. No one likes this tax, right? Because the, ta- the money is going to support and shore up evil empire. You guys got it? So this is a charge. This is not about taxes. Do you see? This is about allegiance. This is about how do we deal with Rome? Should we pay or shouldn't we? And there's two factions. There's two factions, and they're trying to make Jesus pick a side. One faction says, let's do insurrection. Let's rebel against our overlords. The other side is collaborators. They're saying, let's collaborate. And in fact, there was a lot of money to be made. So like Levi, the tax collector, there's a lot of money to be made in this uh, rule of evil empire and all the systems that they have in place. There's money to be made. So there's a collaborative view. Let's just collaborate with the Roman Empire. Or there's the rebellion view. Let's just overthrow. And Jesus is being asked this question, and they're pushing this question on him to try to make him do what? Pick a side. They're saying, Jesus, you come proclaiming the kingdom of God. So is it an insurrection kingdom or is it a collaborative kingdom? Do you see what they're trying to do to Jesus? Okay, watch this. Isn't this fun? This is going to be great. Okay, um, watch this. But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why are you testing me? Right, Jesus sees right through. I mean, they were trying to butter him up, and he's like, you know. Like this. Why are you testing me? Bring me a denarius and look, uh, bring me a denarius to look at. Notice he does not have one on him. Uh, someone bring me a denarius, he says. And notice, they produce one for him. This is actually interesting. It could be that Mark intends us to see that these were people who were actually participating in the system they were critiquing. As one author says, you cannot flip over tables when you are sitting comfortably at them. And here they are asking Jesus, which side are they going to pick? And they produce the coin. That's interesting. Keep going. Bring me a denarius to look at. Okay, so they're testing Jesus. They want to know the kingdom of God, okay, which side is this going to be on? And then he's going to say something. Okay, watch what he says. They brought a coin. Whose image and inscription is this? He asked them. What did they say? Caesar. Remember the guy who made the dressing? Him. Okay. Now, we got to press pause here, and we got to do a little time-traveling tourism, okay? So let's all get into our time machines and go all the way back to the beginning. The beginning of what, you might ask? The beginning of, thank you for asking, the beginning of the cosmos, the created order. In the book of Genesis, in chapter 1 of the book of Genesis, there's this beautiful line where God has been creating, forming the, uh, forming the bringing order out of chaos, uh, forming uh, uh, plants, animals, and things like this. But then he specifically forms human, and it says that, that human is made in the image and likeness of God, male and female, he created them. In the image and likeness of God. So humans in Genesis 1 are called out specifically as the image bearers of God. Whose image do humans bear? God's image. Okay, you guys got me so far? In fact, as you read through your Bible, you'll notice that the people of God in the book of Exodus are called to be people who take on the name or the image or the, the even like the engraving of God. Take on the name of God. Take on the image and name of God. The, the image and inscription of God onto them as a people. That people would look at them and say, oh, you're, you're Yahweh's people. 
In fact, there's this really interesting thing if you want to do like a deep dive nerdy Bible stuff. Uh, in, the ancient, uh, in the ancient worldview, uh, there were temples to gods anywhere you'd go. You go to Babylon, you go to Egypt, you go to Rome, you go to Greece, wherever you'd go, you'd walk into any city and you would notice that there are temples to a variety of different gods. There's the temple to Ra, there's the temple to Aphrodite, there's the temple to Zeus. And if you walked into that temple, you would inevitably see uh, one or more statues of that god. So you could say, hey, where do I find Zeus? He's in the temple. So you go into the temple, and there's a statue of whom? Zeus. It's the image of Zeus, right? At the set, in the temple are the images of the God that the temple is built to, right? This is very common, very common. But you know that the Jewish people, their temple was actually different. In Jerusalem, they had a temple, and you walked into it, and you know what you didn't find? Very strange. There was no statue. In fact, for some of you, maybe you remember like the Ten Commandments situation, like don't have any graven images. And here's why. Okay, you ready for this? You want to see the image and likeness of the God that we serve? Just take a look around you. And this is actually fascinating because our God, and the biblical authors tease this out, our God is a living God. And so we look at living image bearers to know about our living God. This God over here is made of rocks. Hmm? Okay, so the image of God is here. You want to know what the image of God looks like? Look at, look at us, right? And just look at people, including my enemies. Yes, okay? Including people who, who I'm told I'm supposed to hate, right? Including horrible people, the country music fans. I mean, the, the list. Yeah, them too. So did you just say something about you? Okay. I'm going to see you after church. Okay. So, okay, let's zoom back to Jesus' day. He's holding the coin, right? And what does he say? They brought him a coin. Whose image and inscription is on the coin? And what do they say? Caesar's. Can you guys see the coin? Right? You see the profile of Caesar. Uh, in fact, it, it called him the, the high priest, the coins that we know uh, that would have been around in Jesus' day that would have paid this imperial tax. Um, they, they treated the Caesar kind of like a, like a half-god, demigod sort of, and they say Caesar's. Now, this is where it's like, <laughs> is Jesus talking about taxes anymore? He is subverting the way that they framed the question because they're trying to trap him by framing it as a this way or that way. Do you want to go the Pharisee way or the Herodian way? Do you want to go left or do you want to go right? Jesus, are you going to pick my team or the other team? And Jesus says, I'm going to obliterate the framework for this question because the kingdom of God transcends these games. Whose image is on it? Well, Caesar's, they replied. Um, and I'm going to do it the old-fashioned way, if you don't mind. <clears throat> Jesus then said unto them, Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And I could imagine him just tossing the coin. Render unto God the things that are God's. And so if, if that coin belongs to Caesar because the image and likeness and inscription of Caesar was on the coin, Therefore, it belonged to Caesar. Whose name and image is imprinted upon me? Therefore, to whom do I belong? And so render unto Caesar these coins, 
but render unto God what? Every aspect of my being. This is the kingdom of God. And too often, we try to co-opt Jesus for our own kingdom's ends. They were utterly amazed. Why? Because he completely subverted their framework. He said, listen, you're asking me, I think Jesus in so many words, and I think this is proven throughout the Gospel of Mark, he's saying, listen, you're coming at me to pick a side in the kingdoms of this world. I come from a different kingdom, a kingdom that ultimately every knee will bow and every king of the kingdoms of this world will bow to me. So don't ask me these questions. I'm here to tell you that you are mine. This is, by the way, Total dominion. Okay, so let's get serious. If it's true that God's image is on me, therefore I don't belong totally to myself, but I actually belong to God. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and render unto God the things that are God's. Then that, does that have anything to do with how I think about government, politics, power, and money? Oh man, it shapes everything. And here, I want to zoom in here. If you're looking for easy answers, you ain't going to find them here. How we, I'm just going to cut to this, how we live as citizens of the kingdom of God in the here and now, having dual citizenship as citizens also, at least in my case, of America or whatever kingdom of this world you, your passport says, uh, how we're going to do that requires so much wisdom and love and graciousness, it, it, it requires, frankly, in my opinion, a community of misfits where we're coming at these things from different angles to say, I, we both love Jesus, we're both citizens of the kingdom of God, can we help each other understand how we're going to, like, what we're going to do in this next election cycle, how we're going to talk about government, what we're going to do, right? It just and it's going to take us, like, church family, I'm here to tell you, it's going to take us 150 years, and then we'll have it dialed in. Unfortunately, none of us will be here, and so the next generation is going to have to pick up where we left off. And the world's going to change, and it's going to continue to be confusing. And, there, and this is why, I mean, oh my goodness, I, I, I really do believe that this is where the Spirit does its work. As we submit ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus, we give ourselves to Him as Spirit works. And so we're presented with this question, if, if I'm God's, if, if, if I am an image bearer of God, therefore render unto God the things that are God's, it's a question of allegiance. Where is my allegiance? Is my allegiance with a, with a party or platform that is simply a, a member of the kingdoms of this world, or is my ultimate allegiance to the kingship of Jesus? And, and so we're living in this dual reality where ultimately I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God, an ambassador of his kingdom, and yet I'm also trying to live as a good neighbor, as a good citizen here in America. So at Desert Springs, we say it like this that we are actively engaged in government and politics. And here's why. Because it's people. Government is people. Government is how we manage our common life together. And if I love you and I care about you, we should be involved in how that works. Hmm? Okay. However, we remain untethered to any political party, living instead as ambassadors of the kingdom of God. That's what we're doing as a church family. And which means that we're going to constantly be misunderstood. I, I've been saying this for years. Uh, I, I, I'm working in such a way, like this is a win for me. When the majority of the Republicans at Desert Springs think I'm a Democrat, and when the majority of the Democrats think I'm a Republican, and the majority of the Libertarians want to invite me over and have lunch in their bunker, 
And the, right? And the green parties, like, what's he think? Of, I mean, right? Like, my hope is to be as, as good of a representative of the kingdom of God as I can that blows all those other categories out of the water. It just breaks the paradigm. And what, 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 should it, what would it be like if we as a church just did that in our community, which is frankly dying in this conversation around politics right now? Like there's no life-giving. There's just life-taking. And what if we were a people who, because of who we are as image bearers of God, we leaned into this space serving as ambassadors of the kingdom of God, and we, we figured out our differences together, ultimately submitting to Jesus. The, if you, by the way, if you want to know more about that, if you're newer to Desert Springs, we're doing a, a little meet and greet with some of our ministers. If you're newer to Desert Springs in the last couple years, we'd love the opportunity to meet with you. We're going to be here this Thursday in, uh, here at Desert Springs in this room. Uh, that's this Thursday, and uh, it's a time to just share our mission, vision, and values and, and meet some of our uh, ministry leaders. We'd love the opportunity to do that. And you can find more information in your handout or if you're joining us online on the events page on our website. Again, it's that vision night, meet and greet. We'd love to have you. We're going to talk about all the stuff that makes us weird as a church, including that whole thing about uh, being politically untethered but still engaged. Uh, I'm going to tell you that uh, this is really, really important for our discipleship and for the witness of the church. This is really important. I'm going to ask you to lean in here. Um, there are hundreds of people who are connected to Desert Springs over the last uh, couple years, uh, many of you, actually, who shared this, that said that you no longer felt uh, welcome in spaces like Desert Springs because of uh, conversations and positions taken around politics, power, and government. And I was meeting with a person last year. Uh, they're not a church person. They said they're a spiritual tourist. Um, and didn't really have a faith background, and just had a ton of questions about uh, Jesus, a ton of questions about Desert Springs. They had actually, this person had watched some of the sermons online, and had actually watched one that we did last year where we talked about the kingdom of God and politics and power. And he said, you know, the church has a real big branding problem. And I was like, what are you talking about branding problem? You know, I thought he meant like Desert Springs. I'm like, our logo's nice, like DSBC, you know. Like it's... He's like, that's not what I mean. He just, he's like, Christianity. He's like, me and my friends, we talk about a lot of this stuff all the time. We have no idea that you guys are talking about this. And what he was referring to was the gospel, the kingdom of God, and Jesus, and the crown of thorns, and the crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection. He said this. He's like, me and my friends, we all just think you guys are just in there talking about a particular angle of politics and trying to get everybody to fall in line. We, we, and he said this. If we knew this is what you were talking about, and again, he's referring to the kingdom. He said, we'd be there every week because this is really attractive. But we think that you're just up there doing political punditry. And he's getting this, by the way, from his only outlet, the only way things he's seeing is being fed to him through different uh, media. He's not seeing it incarnate in a people like us. He's since become a part of our church family and said, well, now, my, now I don't think that anymore. But I see it in you guys. So he and I just met a couple days ago, and he's like, yeah, that, it's, it's really refreshing to see. But I remember on that first time I met him, he says, uh, hey, um, can I come to your church? Hold on now. He said, can I come to your church? I was like, yeah, bro, you know? And he said, well, am I going to get lynched? I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, because I'm, insert his political party, which he felt like he would not be welcome here. Because in his mind, right, the kingdoms of this world, 
have become merged with the representatives of the kingdom of God. It's so important that we remain active in politics and government without being tethered to any political party, primarily serving as ambassadors of the kingdom of God, which means it's going to be really confusing. A lot of times it's not going to be simple. The talking heads on your TV or computer, those simple answers they're giving are likely not the Jesus answers. And we're going to collectively figure out the Jesus way as a bunch of misfits. And I'll tell you the win. Here's the win. It's not that we all vote a certain way. It's that we can talk about our differences with how we vote looking like Jesus. All right, let's get after it. Let's do this. You guys ready for this? Nobody's ready for this. I'm not ready for this. We are making a choice to either live as subjects of the king and creator of the cosmos, or we are choosing to live as slaves to the kingdoms of this world. It's one or the other. So if we're going to live as subjects of the king and creator of the cosmos, King Jesus, then I've got two questions for you. Number one, does Jesus get to shape your political convictions? Are you letting... I'm, are you inviting Jesus to edit your political preferences? In fact, I want to encourage you to do a little exercise. I don't like this. I also don't like exercise. I want to encourage you to write out your top five political commitments and then spend the next month inviting Jesus to explore those with you if they need to be edited or shifted at all. Write down your top five political commitments. You don't have to show anybody. You don't have to give it to anybody. You don't have to turn it into me. Just write out those top five political commitments and then invite Jesus to explore those with you. Do those need to shift or change in any way? Does Jesus get to edit your political preferences? Most of the time, we're just asking Jesus to co-sign our political convictions rather than inviting him to transform us from the inside out and then politicking appropriately. Two, this one's harder. Our character. character. There's more ink spilt in the New Testament about how we're to behave with one another than there is on what we're to believe. There's less proper doctrine and there's a lot more stuff like this be patient and kind. Be long-suffering with one another. Bear one another's burdens. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It keeps no record of wrongs, Facebook. So here's, here's the question. Here's a good test. The people who disagree with you about your firmly held political convictions when you have those conversations, would they say that you remind them of Jesus? Those people that you have a different, right, you guys are at different spaces with your political convictions. When you have those conversations, which I think you should, when you have those conversations, would they say, you know what, even though we're disagreeing, you're, you're really reminding me of Jesus right now. Because you're showing the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, long-suffering, self-control, Facebook. You're reminding me of the love of Jesus, patient, kind, not keeping a record of wrong, not envying or boasting. You, even though we disagree with this issue and how to approach this issue, man, you really, you remind me of Jesus. So, does Jesus, is he allowed to edit our political convictions? And then secondly, 
when we disagree with one another, are we modeling the Jesus way in those disagreements on politics, power, and money? This really matters. I spent some time with our seniors, uh, high school seniors. This is my favorite time of year uh, as the school semester ends. Uh, Enrique, who leads our student ministries, which, by the way, we have the best student ministries uh, in the whole cosmos. I don't know if you guys know that. Um, they're awesome. Yeah, they're killing it. But Enrique asked me the last few years to just spend a few weeks with our seniors, and they're super bright and tons of fun. And uh, he was like, hey, can you talk about real light stuff, like all the weird stuff in the Bible and, you know, politics and vocation and whatnot, and you'll have like 20 minutes. So I was like, great. So we have this, it was more than 20 minutes. So we're having conversation, and, the, and the, it was just high school seniors, and it was tons of fun. They're, it was actually interesting, out of the dozen or so students, uh, not more than two are from the same school, just different, different like, like PV, Horizon, um, uh, uh, some homeschool, uh, some from charter school. So it was really eclectic mix. So I was really interested in the conversation around politics. Um, and, and one of the things I asked was, hey, what do you guys think, like, the generations that are older than you, like, how are they engaging in the conversation around politics? And you know what they said? There's a lot of fear and a lot of fury and a lot of anger. And one person, this is my favorite, she says, uh, there's a lot of this. You see, how, how we're going to do this conversation, how we're going to live the Jesus way in these hard spaces, boy, that's going to shape others. It's also going to shape us. And so in a moment, we're going to take communion together as a church family. I'm going to ask that you would please take the elements out uh, from the back of the seat in front of you. For those of you who are joining us online, if you would please grab something to represent the body and blood of Jesus. And in a moment, uh, we're going to take of communion together. Remembering the kingdom of God in its fullness and that Jesus is the king who says that we are his. So I'm going to ask that you would open uh, the elements and just hold on to them for a moment. We're going to take a moment to reflect and then I'm going to ask Javi, one of our um, uh, pastoral interns, to uh, come in and read with me and then lead us in communion. But before we do that, would you take this moment to reflect? <laughs> Jesus gave us uh, this act of remembrance to reflect upon his death, burial, and also to proclaim his resurrection. When we take of communion, we do so even on this day, knowing that Jesus loves you more than you can ever imagine. His image is on you. He says that you are his. And so as we take together, let this be an act of union and unity with one another, as well as unity with our God. So I'm going to read from Mark chapter 14, 
of the account of the First Lord's Supper. I'll read in English. And I'll be reading in Spanish. As they were eating, he took bread, blessed and broke it, gave it to them and said, Take it, this is my body. Y mientras comían, Jesús tomó pan, lo bendició, lo partió, y les dio diciendo, Tomen, esto es mi cuerpo. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. Y tomando la copa, y habiendo dado gracias, les dio y bebieron de ella todos. He said to them, This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Y les dijo, Esto es mi sangre del nuevo pacto, que por muchos es derramada. Truly I tell you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine, until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. De cierto los digo que no beberé más de la fruto de la vida hasta aquel día en que lo beba nuevo en el reino de Dios. And on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and broke it, and he said, do this in remembrance of me. Will you please take and eat? And on that same night Jesus was betrayed, he took the cup and he said, do this in remembrance of me. Will you please take and drink? Would you join me as we pray? Lord, we love you and we know that you love us. We know that we are citizens first of your kingdom. So we ask by the power of your spirit that you would continue to shape us more and more into your image as individuals and as a collective body, that we might truly represent the values of your kingdom, that we might be a reminder to people of who you are, your character, and your love and grace. Jesus, we ask these things knowing that you love us and you are powerful to bring them about, and so we entrust ourselves to you. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.